You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, uh, hello and welcome to the FMC podcast. I'm Matt Spazali. I'm Jonathan Keel. We're glad you're back with us. Um, getting a little more regular in our our podcasts again, so it's good. Um, we'll start off with a prayer in the name of the Father and of Son the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, uh, creator of, of all things, we, we praise you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, all of the things uh, that you've given us, all of the things you've entrusted to us, and uh, we ask for your grace to uh, respond um, to, the, to the duty that we have as humans, um, as as beings made in your image and likeness to uh, to um, be good stewards of everything that, that has come our way. We we pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy, holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So, um, we're kind of continuing on uh, a little bit from last time um, with... Uh, our discussion of creation and um, man's relationship to it uh, as has been most recently highlighted uh, by Pope Francis in um, his encyclical Laudato Si um, uh, on on care for our common home as it's titled Um, and but so uh, again we want to go and see what's behind that, um, and see what came what came before Laudato Si. You know, is this a new thing, or is it is it, are there roots um, in past Catholic teaching and uh, the tradition of the Church? So uh, that's what we're that's what we're investigating here. So um, I think. Uh, or did we mention I can't remember if we mentioned did we talk last time about the comments that you got on on Facebook we may have I think we did I think we mentioned at least when I had posted um, I posted one of the quotes I found very challenging I didn't actually post it because I necessarily liked it but I, I found it challenging and so I posted on Facebook. I thought others might find it challenging, and they must have because a number of people had written to us, and um, some of them are benefactors, and told us that if we posted anything else of that nature, they would no longer support our ministry. So we we realized we had certainly hit a um, an aspect of church teaching that was probably worth talking about. Because I think it's easy for us to make the gospel comfortable to ourselves first and foremost and then to others around us so that we can win their approval. But I certainly feel like that would be to limit and divest the gospel of its power to change people. I think one of the the ways that we make the gospel comfortable is... Is by ignoring church teaching, you know, the tradition of how, how the gospel has been um, 
interpreted and expounded upon and uh you know this is a, a really a theme that we we've talked about before but um we're going to get into some aspects or to the foundational uh doctrines of catholic social teaching and um for a lot of people when you when they hear catholic social teaching they think oh that's something i can ignore um and i think what really what i i really do see in pope francis's pontificate and um and then and throughout catholic the true catholic teaching is to say um if you accept uh the church's teachings on the person and the dignity of human life um then and but yet you ig- ignore the, what the church says about how to live in society um that's your worldview is incoherent um and and the inverse the, the opposite is true if you think that all the church is good for is telling you about how how to relate to the poor how to love the poor how to love the environment um and yet you reject um, its teaching on on sexuality or something like that, then your worldview is incoherent as well. Mm -hmm. You've Mm -hmm. got a blend of ideas that are not working together. And so um, as we introduce uh, these tenets of the Catholic social teaching, I think it's a it's a way for us to remember to have a well-rounded view of of living mm-hmm. the gospel. Um, the church has a wealth of information, as we're discovering, um, and it it helps. I don't know. I, I, what I'm struck by is just this coherence between respecting human life and and creation and it's they work hand in hand and it's, it's uh i find myself as you we, we were discussing before you you were watching planet earth and feeling unthreatened by it and just seeing the beauty in it i think when you have a more balanced catholic view you're free to love mm-hmm. love everything that god has created yeah, you know, I think um, of something I was once told uh, when I was a teenager and I first started becoming very interested in um, in girls and in sexuality, and I, I wasn't Catholic, um, but one of the things we we're commonly told was uh, when we would ask something like, how far can we go with our girlfriend <laughs> or, or our boyfriends? Uh, you know, we were asking these questions, our circle of friends, and we were constantly told, you know, um, rather than just kind of doing the very least we can to live out holy chastity, we should do the most we can huh. and yeah. not ask questions about, you know, how much of this can I get out of? Um, what's a moral what you know I wouldn't have said it that way back then but basically what I meant was how far can I go I mean a little bit of sins okay 
how far is too far. And I think some people, the way that they receive Catholic teaching has, you know, some real similar um, attitudes and mindsets. It's kind of like, well, how much of this do I really need to live? How much of this do I really need to accept? Uh, what, how, you know, what level of teaching is this? Does it really, do I really have to follow this? It's not a, a loving acceptance from the voice of the shepherd, from the voice of our Lord. Uh, it's rather this kind of, um, again, like using these family motives. It's not listening to your parents who are giving you um, kind of instructions for life from their experience, which is rich. It's rather starting with this kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. I see this so often, this, this suspicion of uh, what Mother Church wants to teach us and then figuring out ways to, you know, I've, I've even read online people saying, well, we don't have to follow, it's an encyclical. Before um, Pope Francis spoke, the teachings hadn't been um, centered in an encyclical. Certainly that had been, we'll see, they've been spoken about in encyclicals, but not as a central theme. And so people were saying the same thing, or this is only an address or a message an apostolic letter it doesn't hold all the weight and so it was almost like you know um, the again this idea of just not wanting to accept the teaching authority of the church wholeheartedly mm-hmm. with open arms but rather approaching it with suspicion and I, and I think you know part of that is just that many of us are more versed in local media in international national media sources we spend more times on our phone we spend more times watching television news and our drive home we spent from work we spend listening to talk radio and we kind of i think uh unknowingly begin to accept the voices of others and it's kind of like again with children, teenagers who go to school and they hang out with their their friends and maybe their friends are saying, you know, no, it's okay to, you could at least, you know, uh, necking certainly, there's no problem with that. It's not like you're going all the way. Oh, and this, this is okay. It's not like, <laughs> and then going back and hearing your parents say, you know, no, that's not best for you. God has a better plan. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's dive in um, to... To this this full view of um, of what the church is is presenting to us, and so uh, when we talk about Catholic social teaching, um, it's uh, it really uh, I guess was first is rerum novarum kind of considered the I mean uh, other than uh, the obvious philosophical things that have gone on for yeah centuries, certainly I mean, Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Um, in Rerum Novarum in the um, 1890s, I think it was 1891, Mm -hmm. um, that's considered kind of the birth of Catholic social teaching. And and then a number of encyclicals that tended to come out on the anniversary of that document um, and kind of have built up over the last... Uh, you know, now a hundred and 
almost 130 years just about yeah one one of the um, where we're actually Jonathan and I are looking at something called the Ducat Um, some of you may know about the the UCAT which is the youth catechism that uh, Pope Benedict uh, initiated uh, the the creation of to um, make the catechism more accessible and uh, I think most adults could probably find it more accessible as well. It, it, it was done really well. Um, and so that, the UCAT, it's this yellow book, um, and it was, uh, it was published, as I said, during Benedict's time. Um, and now Pope Francis has, um, in a sense, put out the Ducat, which is like, uh, a synthesis or a, a small version of the compendium of Catholic social teaching um, and they go hand in hand uh, published by the same um, group and uh, so um, anyway we're looking at the Ducat and um, so I'll, I'll maybe make reference to some of the article and uh, paragraph numbers so you can you can check on on these things if you if you're interested but the uh, the four pillars of Catholic social social teaching and what what the of implementing social doc the Catholic social doctrine are uh, personhood and what will explain some of these uh, personhood the common good subsidiarity and solidarity and you, you may have heard some of these words but we're going to go in um, depth and uh, you know the point of this is that when the church is speaking about the environment or man's general um, orientation and responsibility to things around us or to people around us that's social teaching you know about society and um, there's there's a weight to it um, that we should recognize, and and so we're we're going into the basics of where the church, uh, how the church's worldview um, all fits together, and and where this teaching on the environment ultimately comes from. Um, so the first, uh, I'll talk about the first one, personhood, um, and in the the Ducat, that's uh, number. Um, paragraph number 47 um, starts out with this and, and it, we, we get this from uh, Genesis early on we, um, then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him man, male and female he created them so this um, concept in Latin imago dei um, is it's the idea that man is created in the image of God, and no no other part of creation um, has that level of of connection with God. The only man is the only creature on earth that God willed for its own sake. Um, and we we discussed this a little bit before uh, in the last one, I think. Um, sometimes that 
can be stretched into thinking, okay, then man is the only thing that matters, which is not the case. Man is just um, on a different level. Other things are, other created things are still worthy of respect, but um, that, that's what we get into later. So this idea of imago dei in the image of God um, describes the outstanding place of man among all creatures. He is the being that can communicate with God. Um, and and that fact uh, gives man an inviolable dignity, uh, as it says here in the, in the Ducat. So, um, we start with that, and I think that's probably a concept very familiar to most people, most Catholics listening to this. We, we talk a lot about that. Um, but... Uh, the the teaching of the church and indeed the teaching of Jesus doesn't stop with ourselves, you know, just looking at ourselves and how great we are. Um, it, it moves it moves beyond that, but that is one of the foundations that man has in every man has every man and woman every person um, has an innate dignity that must be respected and. Um, all of our actions need to take that into account. Yeah, and that, you know, if we stopped there, that could lead us to a world that was very disconnected, uh, where people sought for the development of their own selves or for persons they liked. You know, in an earlier podcast, we talked about the gift of another and loving our enemies. And these are kind of foundations for the second principle, which is the principle of the common good. And <clears throat> the principle of the common good uh, is refers to both the good of all human beings and to the good of the whole human being. And, and both of those are important. So we would talk about, we talk about the good of all human beings and the whole human being, we talk about rights um, is the language that the church chooses to use as well as a language we've become accustomed to. We talk about um, rights to food, shelter, health care, work, uh, education. Um, these are seen as fundamental rights because they belong to the common good, the good of the whole human being. Um, you know, someone who is malnourished loses a certain amount of freedom in the fact that their brain's not able to develop. Someone who doesn't have shelter, um, obviously those are some basics for life. Health care. Everyone needs uh, for the common good to be able to work because it's in work that we're able to um, realize our human potential and who we are as human beings. We also would include things like freedom of thought, freedom of assembly and uh, religion. So these are some um, ideas that within the common good and you know as the Ducat reminds us in section 88 <clears throat> we must be interested in the good of all uh, even of people no one thinks about because they have no voice and no power the goods of the earth are there for everyone and this goes back to the second Vatican Council in Gaudium et Spes 69 that God intended the earth with everything contained in it for the use of all human beings and peoples. 
Thus, under the leadership of justice and in company of charity, created good should be in abundance for all in like manner. So, although we do see the human person as the center of creation, the human person doesn't exist alone, but rather is a societal creature, is a societal animal, you might say. <clears throat> and so, the, the common good is what we would talk about morality on a social and communal level. And this is why um, when we're talking about Catholic social teaching, we're not talking about mere politics or some type of amoral activity, but rather there's a moral foundation we'll find both that both scripture and um, the church teaches that need to guide our interaction within society. They need to um, give a backdrop for our politics. And so the common good talks then about that God created the world for all and that all should have access to the basic necessities of life uh, as kind of a balance and a, you might say, development of the idea of personhood. Right. Yeah, The it's not... Um while it may be a popular philosophy to um, only concern ourselves with ourselves singularly, um, that's not a Christian idea. That's <laughs> just period to, to say, well, um, I'm going to look out for myself and everybody else better be doing the same. I, it's, of no, it's of no concern to me. That's not a Catholic idea. Period. It's not. It's not what. Certainly not what Jesus said when he's asking right. us to love other people uh, as the highest commandment. Um, certainly, and, and it's certainly not what what the church says that we are. We each of us should be concerned with the common good. And when we think back, even in before Jesus, you know, Jesus was a Jew, and he took from two of the foundational um, you know, laws, you might say, of the Old Testament. The first one, Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and your might. And then Leviticus 19.8, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, you're mm-hmm. to love yourself, um, but your neighbor as yourself. And when we, we can look again at James chapter 2, verse 15, where James says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed mm-hmm. and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? Um, the church believes that this applies not only to human beings on a level of personhood, but also to society as a whole on a level of the common good. So, whereas on the one hand, I would be obliged to if I was encountered a starving person or somebody who was hungry or lacked and I had the ability to share with them, you know, the, the, mor- the moral uh, morality demands that I share with them, the same thing with nations. As nations encounter other nations that also have these lacks, they are required, morality dictates, our Lord dictates that they also treat these other nations um, with that same dignity and respect. And at the end of our lives, you know, Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, 
the way that we treat other people, we're actually will be judged upon that. And I think that's really important because sometimes, especially in America, we hear so often that somehow we're going to be judged for, you know, raising our hand up in a service or, you know, just kind of praying the sinner's prayer. Um, but that's not really the way that Jesus speaks about it. There's definitely the works of mercy play a role <coughs> in our personal lives and in the role of society and, and how nations relate to one another and peoples. So, um, uh, moving on to the the next of the, the so this would be the uh, in subsidiarity the third yeah um, pillar of Catholic social teaching is subsidiarity and this one uh, I mean personhood and common good sound like things I've heard before um, subsidiarity maybe something of a new term but I think uh, the concept itself is very um, simple. So, the, I, I like the way that, um, the Ducat in paragraph 95, the first sentence um, sums it up pretty well. The, the principle of subsidiarity uh, is that every societal task is always assigned in the first place to the smallest possible group that can perform it. Um, so, uh, and another way of stating it, like that, that the Ducat has uh, the superior level. For instance, the state, uh, you know, the government must not claim competence if the lower level, for example, the family, can solve the problem by itself. Um, and I think uh, so. You know, this is this idea of letting. The person closest to the problem address it um, is is a very common sense one and one that is espoused by certain political um, ideologies and it, it it lines up with the church in that in that respect um, to give responsibility to um, the people closest to an issue um, and then and th- it, it's not to say that that's the only uh, uh, method of action. If the next step in the principle of subsidiarity is to say that um, if the lower level, like if the family is overburdened by a problem and cannot um, solve it, then the next higher level must offer to help. So um, the uh, this is where societal groups can step in or maybe a, a city government or something like that and and then it the chain of authority um, and responsibility goes up from there um, but it's um, this was this principle I think yeah this is what I was thinking that that principle was first formulated in Pope Pius XI's encyclical Quadragesimo Anno which was um, on the in the fortieth year after uh, Rerum Novarum, um, so another in the line of these encyclicals talking about this issue or these issues, um, Pope Pius XI in nineteen thirty one introduced the principle of subsidiarity and, f- and formulated it um, 
but it obviously um, existed. <laughs> I mean, the idea existed before that as well. But um, you know, here's an is an interesting thing in the Ducat itself. It's the the next question. Um, does the principle of subsidiarity apply to politics as well? And the answer is yes. So it's not just a, um, I don't know, uh, an ethereal plasma of an idea floating around. It is, this is, the church is saying we need to implement these ideas in our, our daily lives and, and demand a politics that um, that respects these these principles. Um. The same time, um, when we think of subsidiarity, there's again this idea of solidarity, and this is a common. We hear this said all of the time. Um, this idea that we have a greater awareness. Um, of others that were there for them or reach out to them again it's similar to the common good um, in the sense that it's it's on a more global level so we're, we're talking subsidiarity we're kind of going as small as possible in personhood we're going intimate in the common good and solidarity we're really looking um, kind of like an umbrella reaching out um, we have this idea that, uh, I love this, um, Jesus, the Ducat talks about, was sent as the living sign of God's solidarity with mankind. And I, I just thought, you know, Jesus is kind of like the sacrament of God's solidarity with man. And when you think about a sacrament, you know, a sacrament is a sign that both represents something, but also does that thing it represents. Um, or makes present that thing it represents. Um, so when we think about the Catholic teaching on the Holy Eucharist, you know, the Eucharist is um, the bread becomes a symbol of Christ's presence, but it also is Christ's present. Well, in the same way, Jesus is the sacrament of God's solidarity in the sense that he became man, but he also or, or that he was, you know, the, the symbol of God coming down to earth. That's, that's a sign, but also that God really did come down to earth, that he really did become one of us, that he really did die for each one of us. Um, who couldn't have done, we couldn't have done that for ourselves. We really were debtors. Um, and, and that's one of the things like the principle of solidarity, the compendium says in 195, the principle of solidarity requires that men and women of our day cultivate a greater awareness that they are debtors of the society which they have become part. So we all have a debt to our society. We all receive those of us who speak English or ways of thinking come um, from those who taught us English and just our English background. Um, the ways that we treat one another we've learned in our family and our society um, solidarity requires us to feel, to suffer, to put ourselves in others' shoes. And um, 
you know, one of the things Pope Francis earlier on in 2013 warned us of is this idea of the globalization of indifference, where we just, we're really indifferent to uh, those in our world. We just, um, we're able to see the suffering of, you know, millions, and we've just become used to it. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't concern me. It's not my business. Um, solidarity calls us out of ourselves. And, you know, um, the popes, especially starting with uh, Paul VI, and um, begin developing out, honestly, a fifth principle that is called sustainability, which is this idea that society must not use more resources than it can replace or regenerate and this again is thinking about those in the future so solidarity whereas solidarity is putting ourselves in the shoes of those who are still with us sustainability considers also the children of the future our own children and those who will come after us and you know, I think one of the hardest aspects of Catholic social teaching and why it becomes so much more controversial than just the creed is because it really demands of us a change of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, not just a an inner change where, well, I feel really bad about my sins and then I'm going to go and kind of... It really demands us not only to repentance and conversion but to a radical change of lifestyle and that's something that uh, I have found when you begin speaking of changing someone's lifestyle you need to be aware that you're going to be attacked yeah well, you know? no, I think and, what's uh, interesting is that I remember the, one of the comments that you you received um on on Facebook was you know, the Pope should be teaching repentance, not recycling. Um, right, right. And what uh, repentance is required in in all areas and re, there's no any kind of repentance that doesn't also make a change in your life is um, really useless uh, so just as we are called to repent um, of certain I don't know sins that we might consider more personal um, we also in in confession um, we agree to sin no more you know uh, to certainly try um, and that means actually doing something um, so the call to repentance um, t for our sins against creation um, also brings with it a call to change our lives and um, if we're I, I think that and but it's still it is certainly still uh, a kind of a new challenge for me um, and but it's one that can't be ignored. I think I was thinking like, why are we even talking about the this <laughs> the Catholic social teaching stuff? Um, and really, it's it's an explanation of why we should care. 
about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the, it's like, this is the church's explanation of why we should care about our brothers and sisters and why we should care about um, the world around us. And um, that's, for, for those of us thinking, like, I just don't w- want to deal with this issue or I don't want to deal with any of these issues. Um, that's fine. We we can we can ignore it, but we have to be ready to be uh, judged. On, yeah, on and that. <laughs> and this is an area where I'm just going to say, as we, I'd like to go through some of um, what some of the comments that um, the popes have said. But you know, as we do that, it's interesting because I think for many people that you know I've encountered, uh, and the way that much of the mainstream portrays Pope Francis's focus on ecology. They typically call it those. There are many who don't like Pope Francis. They call him a Marxist. Um, a lot of, a lot of the remarks that I've heard are, I feel, and again, I'm, I'm, I don't know their hearts, but it it seems to be a reaction to the idea that one has to live in solidarity and seek the common good. I think we're much more comfortable with the idea that what's mine is mine and who are you to limit, uh, you know, on one hand people would say who are you to to limit what I do in the bedroom, uh, Mm -hmm. what I do with my body. Others would say who are you to limit what I do with my money. And I think, you know, we all have a tendency to find it more difficult maybe to I know many people who find it much easier to allow the church to intervene um, and to influence what they do in the bedroom or on their computer but are horribly offended when the church begins to speak with how they are to use their money um, and when we talk about the environment what we're going to see is the that deep down the church is calling us to a radical change of lifestyle. Um, early on, one of the earliest um, magisterial documents was Paul the Sixth Apostolic Letter. He wrote uh, in 1971. It was called Octogesima uh, Adveniens, which is basically the 80th um, anniversary of 80-year anniversary of Rerum Novarum. And this, he begins to talk about this idea of all the goods of the earth are dedicated to all people. This is, again, that idea of the common good. And he begins criticizing modern practices of exploiting nature. Um, But one of the things he does, he says is, you know, this is a dramatic and unexpected consequence of human activity in section 21. Man is suddenly becoming aware that by an ill-considered exploitation of nature, he risked destroying it and becoming in his turn the victim of this degradation. So, certainly in 1971, um, we start to see the beginnings of this movement, we could call it the ecological movement, uh, where the popes, not because of some new philosophy or way of thinking about the world, but rather as Pope... Paul says the dramatic and unexpected consequences that begin to arrive due to human activity and um, hmm. 
And so because of these consequences they begin to see, we start to see the church develop um, an idea of how we are to act morally with our society. In the same year, 1971, there was a synod of bishops. Uh, it was the second ordinary general assembly in all of history of the synods. And it had two subjects, ministerial priesthood and justice in the world. And, and some of the things it talked about were action on behalf of justice and participation, the transformation of the world fully appear to us as a constitutive dimension of the preaching of the gospel. Or in other words, of the church's mission for the redemption of the human race. In other words, acting social justice and participating in transforming the world as Jesus spoke in Luke 4 you know um, setting the captives free bringing sight to the blind preaching good news to the poor these things are a fundamental element of the preaching of the gospel the church's mission for bringing redemption to the human race but it furthermore goes on to say and this I think is where it becomes challenging is in 70 these bishops say those who are already rich are bound to accept a less material way of life with less waste in order to avoid the destruction of the heritage which they are obliged by absolute justice to share with all other members of the human race so again from the beginning in 1971 we're called to a change in lifestyle and I, I just need to say this because I think sometimes in an American perspective we tend to think rich means you know, that that person I could think of who has more than me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a Catholic school teacher. I still needed to work uh, a second job to get by. Uh, we, you know, we I wouldn't have ever considered myself rich until I went into missions. Um, and I've been to Mexico, Haiti, Peru, Everywhere I've been, I've never, I, I have met very few people who had anywhere close to as much as we had, other than in the big urban centers. Um, we in America have great wealth. As a country, um, we have great wealth. And that's something to keep in mind. We are the ones that are being called those in the first world as some would say or the developed nations mm -hmm. are being called more than others the burden really lies on us to make the change in our lifestyle and that's that's really challenging I understand um, but it's something that in 72 you know Paul uh, blessed Paul VI again spoke speaking to at a conference on the environment he says um, interdependence must now be met by joint responsibility, common destiny, by solidarity. In other words, we're all interrelated. We talked about this last week, this interdependence of all nature. Now we have a joint responsibility. We have a responsibility to not only to our fellow man, those who are marginalized and poor, but also to nature herself. Our common destiny, which we share with all human beings, uh, we need to now be in solidarity with them, knowing that in the end of life, we will all stand before our Lord. We need to find um, solidarity. He goes on to say that all technical measures would remain ineffectual if they were not accompanied by an awareness, get this, of the necessity for, necessity 
for radical change in mentality, which John the Paul II will later call an ecological conversion. All are called to clear-sightedness and courage. We are really being called to courage, to trust that the Lord's not just trying, you know, there was when Pope John Paul released um, Laudato Si, that um, one of the first things that came out from Rush Limbaugh was um, entitled, Pope Francis, give and give until everyone is poor, in parentheses, to save the planet. And kind of just this uh, real twisted look on what we're being asked for. We're not being asked to just kind of give for no reason. We're asked to follow in the footsteps of our Lord who gave his life for his enemies. We're being asked to change our lifestyle, not just to no longer steal from our brothers, but also to no longer steal from the common good, from those things that really aren't ours, from those things that belong as well to the future and to those people who will live in the future. Right. Uh, and I think um, just hearing about Paul the Sixth, you know, it should be, it has to be very clear to us that Pope Francis didn't come up with this stuff out of thin air. And, not, and indeed, none of the stuff we've even said so far has come from Laudato Si. Every, all of these words are pre, prior to Pope Francis, prior to Pope John Paul II, even. Um, this isn't a new, this isn't a new idea. This is uh, our obligation, as uh, I think Paul, Blessed Paul VI said, um, this is our obligation. So we, it's not acceptable to ignore it. We have to, as hard as it may be, and whatever changes it requires, it demands a response. Um, and I think that's that's the same message, and this is the continuity and coherence that I was talking about earlier, that's the same message um, with the gospel as a whole, is that if it doesn't demand a change from you, then you're probably not hearing it right. Um, it all it demands a change of all of us continually, and so um, the idea that the church is asking for a change of our lifestyle and a change of our mentality towards our common home. This is not an alien concept to Catholicism. This is part of the central idea of the gospel: is that we have to be living differently um, to live you know to live out teachings of the church regarding the bedroom uh, that puts us at odds with the way a lot of people live to the, to the promiscuous lifestyle that's um, pushed down our throats by um, commercials and and Advertising and movies and things like that, which suggest that um, sexuality for its own sake is this thing that we should always be pursuing at all times and, you know, living this party lifestyle. Um, 
the gospel calls us to live radically different from that and um i think what you know what the reason we're doing this podcast is because we're both jonathan and i are both seeing like well there's been we've had a lot of time to come to grips with that idea um and this this idea of a radical change in our lifestyle regarding the environment is a new, uh, somewhat of a new idea in our consciousness, and so we're investigating it. And as we see, it's it's really not a new idea. Um, maybe we we just just a new emphasis. Um, yeah, we've. I just wanted to say, you know, we've been actually pretty surprised that almost everything that I could think of that. You know, throughout the 70s, Paul VI, and then John Paul II, in his very first encyclical, talks about the threat of pollution in Section 8 uh, of the natural environment. He talks about the global warming crisis throughout the 90s. We have certainly the last three popes who have warned us about climate change. and this idea that we need to use natural resources differently for the good of all humanity and future generations. Um, We have this idea, John Paul uh, addressed uh, the members of the agency of the UN in Africa in 1985 and talked about a number of these issues um, of solidarity with others different threats to the environment where he says that nearly all the nations that are affected are developing or what some people would call second or, th- or third world sorry uh, nations the church doesn't really use that language with developing nations um, but that we're all called to help not only give in our any way that we can but also help others on a local level this is where subsidiarity comes in to also become more aware, this is where even in the United States we can work um, to help those in our home, in our neighborhood, in our churches to better understand our place in creation and how we're related to all of these things. How creation is, as as Paul the Six calls, and we've talked about this, but he says. That creation is a gift of God. In 1977, um, for the fifth worldwide day of the environment, he calls creation is says creation is good because it's a gift from God. It's good because it's the environment in which all of us has been placed and in which we're called to live out our vocations in solidarity with one another. John Paul II will take from that and in 2002 say that every human person has a vocation. He calls it an ecological vocation, that we're all called to work for the good of our environment. And I know for some people this sounds just, you know, like they're so used to the church being silent, a church that they go being silent on this issue, right. that it just it astounds them. And this is where John Paul II, again speaking in Africa in the 80s, talks about developing a new heart you know this new heart because we need to have a new moral character he says that this moral character cannot exclude respect for beings 
which constitute the natural world. The first consideration is the appropriateness of acquiring a growing awareness of the fact that I cannot use with impunity all other beings, animals, plants, and natural elements, simply as I wish, according to my own economic needs. We have to think of the common good. And I think, you know, if I could direct anyone to a reading, which we had hoped to discuss more of, because it was really the first major writing on the environment. Um, it's a work, uh, it was an address that John Paul II, St. John Paul II gave for the World Day of Peace in 1990. And um, it's about seven pages long. And he talks about having a morally coherent worldview. He talks about a new ecological awareness. He talks about the human... I like, I like what he says there as well, because I think yeah. this is... A, he says, a new ecological awareness is beginning to emerge, which, rather than being downplayed, ought to be encouraged. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that right there is... The story of, I don't know, in, in a way my Catholic life is seeing this ecological awareness downplayed and really not necessarily always bad mouth, but just not talked about. Mm -hmm. Like you said, this, there's a, sil a silence about it. I heard a lot more about other things and I did this. And yet this is 1990. Saint John Paul II saying that rather than downplaying, rather you know, rather than the tone that we often hear about the environment as oh great, you know, it's, we roll our eyes or like this is um, here this guy goes again about the environment. Um, Saint John Paul II says we should not rather than being downplayed, we ought to encourage this ecological awareness um, and yeah and he yeah. calls the crisis oh, yeah he calls it a crisis <laughs> right a moral crisis though that's the thing yeah. is this is not you know there was um, the the chairman of the house committee on national resources was asked about Laudato Si and he said no this is a, only a political issue most people have their minds made up on this issue so we don't need any more rhetoric. Um, this is a moral crisis. John Paul II says, an adequate solution cannot be found merely in a better management, aka recycling, or a more rational use of the Earth's resources. As important as these may be, rather we must go to the source of the problem, which is the human heart, and face its entirety, the profound moral crisis of which the destitution of the environment is only one troubling aspect, we're talking about what he has called the culture of death. And he talks about the culture of death. We need to have a respect for life. But that respect for life doesn't just mean, okay, I vote pro-life, uh, and uh, I'm, you know, I have my little sticker on the car. Uh, it's not talking simply about unborn babies. He talks about, in particular, the most profound and serious indication of the moral implications underlying this problem, the lack of respect for life, 
are evident in the many patterns of environmental pollution. Often the interests of production prevail over the concern for the dignity of workers and economic interests take priority over the good of individuals and persons. And so we have this idea of this ecological imbalance but God created us, he says, for a harmonious universe. We're interdependent. This was a gift. Uh, and it's, it's just, I guess it's surprising to me that, I think to both of us, how much John Paul II actually said, just in this one document, uh, and yet how little of it seems to have sunk in yeah even for us like how, how we hadn't really heard a lot of this before so no, as never, we talk about it we probably we're struggling i think in a way we maybe don't with some other issues to just gather all of our thoughts because there's so many new ideas that are really um really yeah. putting their seed and and you know taking birth in our minds just um i think Pope John Paul II says, this is another, another. he says in section 13 of that address, modern society will find no solution to the ecological problem unless it takes a serious look at its lifestyle. In many parts of the world, society is given instant gratification. I mean, you could see that even in the church. How many of us, how many of us would leave church and go somewhere else if the air conditioner didn't work? Uh... We need to have that. You go to Me I've never seen an air-conditioned church when I've gone to Mexico, to Haiti, to Peru. Uh, one time in Mexico, I think of. Um, but we want instant gratification and consumerism. Uh, even in church, I mean, you leave church and everyone's like rushing to buy all sorts of things. I've been, as we travel around, we've been to a number of parishes where they're selling all sorts of things right outside of church and. People even have left before the priest has uh, finished giving the benediction in order to get over to buy a coffee mug or some different things they're <laughs> selling and are limited on limited display. Yeah. Um, but we remain indifferent to the damage that these cause. If an appreciation of the value of the human person and of human life is lacking, so this is the, the other catch is that so many of people who are for the environment are not for they they, they have many they they have a, an incoherent world view because in their own life they typically are or not typically but oftentimes you'll find that somebody um promoting the most natural of you know they want to have natural um, live as close to nature as possible, and yet they contracept. Right. Then and yet yeah, there's uh, just this very antagonistic attitude towards the church's teaching on the child, um, which you know d certainly if that's lacking, we'll also lose interest in others. Pope goes on to say, and in Earth itself, he says simplicity, moderation, and discipline as well as the spirit of sacrifice, must become a part of everyday life, lest all suffer the negative consequences of the careless habits of a few. Yeah, I like at the end, or toward the end, he, he um, states that uh, 
for to to his brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church um, that we have a he reminds us of the serious obligation to care for all of creation um, respect for life and for the dignity of the human person extends also to the rest of creation um, it's I don't, I love it it's beautiful in it's um, it's such a well-rounded way of looking at things um, it, it's also shocking and uh, and challenging but <laughs> it's I think you and I are similar Jonathan in that like I would much rather hear a hard truth than an easy fiction I mean you know it's just like I, I want Give me the give me the truth and let me struggle with it yeah. and try to figure out how to live it. So I, I'm I'm smiling as I'm looking at this because it's I know that it's um, it's demanding and uh, it's put in very intense terms: obligation, moral mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. crisis, you know. Um, but I like it. It gives me something to hold on to and move forward with. Um, it's uh, it's substantial and it's a it's a teaching of the church. Yeah, and I, and I you know I thought it was really fascinating to me that as he ends the um, this address, he talks about how 1979. I went back and read this apostolic letter called Inter Sanctos, which means among saints, um, where John Paul proclaims St. Francis of Assisi to be the patron of those work in ecology. And both John Paul and Paul VI use the examples of St. Francis. And then, although... Um, Pope Paul VI doesn't say by name, he says the contemplative orders of the church. John Paul II actually names Pope Benedict, or uh, Saint Benedict. And I just thought it was really interesting that, so in, in 1997 he proclaims Francis and Benedict as these patrons of those who promote the ecology and the environment, and then we have Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. Yeah coming after in turn and both promoting developing and promulgating um a an even deeper um um, understanding of the church's ecological spirituality and um i just thought that was really beautiful it was really just it it i don't know if it's just coincidence I think oftentimes our coincidences are, you know, the Lord has something to do with that. We just mm-hmm. don't see his, his handiwork. But I, I do believe that the church is very clear that, you know, our, our natural world, the world in which God has called us to be holy, to be saints, is in danger, is being jeopardized by our way of life, by the... Um, by the things that we choose both to enjoy and even to buy. You know, Pope Benedict talks about 
Uh, and Pope Francis echoes it in Laudato Si that everything we buy, every purchase, every economic endeavor is also a moral choice, is also a moral endeavor. We need to stop compartmentalizing and seeing the way that we use our money, the way that we use, uh, you know, our economic um, power as something apart from our vocation to be holy. Uh, that's something that I think the last two popes have really been bringing to our attention is that the way that we use our money, the things that we enjoy, the way that we live, God is calling us um, to a holy use of our money, to a holy way of uh, enjoying things that doesn't deprive others, that allows for us to be generous, that allows for us to help others and live in solidarity with them, working for the common good so that they can, others can develop their human person. Uh, it's really a beautiful, mm -hmm. I find, an, um, a beautiful integral um, vision. Yeah, I, I was just thinking of um, the, the throwaway culture that Pope Francis has talked about, and uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm beating the same idea, but I think it's an important idea. Um, it the, th the throwaway culture is the same one that throws unborn babies away. You know, the same one that does that throws uh, just endless waste uh, polluting the environment. And it's, it's all as St. John Paul II said, part of the same moral problem. It's all a result of the same um, lack of a center in Christ and in our um, understanding of our own dignity and the dignity of others and the dignity um, that surrounds us in, in creation. And um, it, I think we're, we may... Um, I hope we, we're going to do another podcast where we uh, talk a little more about what does that actually mean for our, you know, what, what are yeah. some ways that we can put it into the practice? Pope Francis and, and also the USCCB the, right. um, gave some great kind of just practical things that we can do. And some of them are very surprising and beautiful on how we could live out uh, the church's teaching. Yeah, yeah I think... So for any of you who have somehow made it this far into the podcast, but all the while have been screaming, okay, well, what do we do about it? What's the practical... I mean, bear with us because I think one of the things that we... The reason we're doing it is because we want to explain why it's important to even care. If you're already at the point of caring and you want to know what to do, good. Um, and that's where we, <laughs> we want people to be with the teachings of the church and we want that's way where we ourselves want to be um so uh stay tuned we i think we'll uh, may it, i don't know if it's going to be our next podcast but maybe one after that um we'll get into some 
to the practical application of this. Um, in the meantime, you can look look at the as Jonathan said the, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops online. You can go to USCCB. Com or oh, I'm not know. sure which one it is. Um, I and just Google it. Yeah, Google um, some you know stuff about uh, Pope Francis and the U.S. bishops' advice for how to um, care for our home. So uh, that's that's it for us today. Um, Jonathan's got a, a prayer to, to close us out. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And I just want to make my own and ask that you would, the words of um, John Paul II and when he spoke to this African um, group at the UN, or the UN group in Africa. Lord, I, I cannot be silent when my brothers and sisters are threatened. Let me become here the voice of those who have no voice the voice of the innocent who died because they lacked water and bread, the voice of fathers and mothers who saw their children die without understanding, or who will always see in their children the after-effects of the hunger they have suffered, the voice of the generations to come who must no longer live with this terrible threat weighing upon their lives. Dear Lord, I appeal, let us not wait until the drought returns terrible and devastating let us not wait for the sand to bring death again allow not the future of these people to remain jeopardized forever lord bring peace to the earth we pray all these things in the name of the king of kings lord of lord and prince of peace jesus and the father son and the holy spirit amen thank you uh thanks for listening uh, we love all you, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.